Hey y'all, before we jump into today's episode, we would like to invite you to a special event we're hosting on May 30th called Women in Whiskey. Join us for an adult field trip filled with Southern fun at the Jack Daniels Distillery right here in our home state of Tennessee. Get ready to learn while sipping. We will be taking a private tour of the distillery, enjoy a barbecue lunch on the beautiful hillside, and partake in early happy hour with cocktails provided by Jack Daniels as we listen in on a conversation with women who work in the industry. The conversation will be led by yours truly, your hosts of the Steel Magnolias podcast. Learn more about the event at steelmagnoliaspodcast.com. You can grab your tickets there and we cannot wait to see you on May 30th. And now on with the show. Welcome y'all. Before we dive into today's topic, just wanted to remind you that you can connect with us on Instagram at Steel Magnolias Podcast, or you could join our mailing list, which we will link to in our show notes. If you enjoy the show, would you take 15 seconds and leave us a five-star review with one sentence of why you love the show? This would help others so much in trying to decide from the millions of podcasts out there why they should spend some time with us. Speaking of which, I'll meet you at the table. I'm Lainey. And I'm Laura Beth. And we are Steel Magnolias. The strength of steel with the grace of a magnolia. We are here to have uplifting conversations about life in the South. And we've got plenty of room at our table. So pull up a chair. Well, Miss Laura Beth, you had a fun adventure this weekend. Yes. So fun. Do and tell. I did not want to cover the Grand Ole Opry until I had experienced it myself. And so our dad took me to the Opry on Friday night. He's taken you before. So yes. it's it's all fair just for everybody <laughs> listening. Lainey's been before as well. But it was so amazing. And I'm going to talk a lot more about my experience at the end of today's episode. But I'm well, way charged up to talk about the Grand Ole Opry today. Well, it's I'm an institution, of right? Yes. And so our parents got established in Nashville in 1971. And so many things, I think, gosh, they've watched so much change. But the Grand Ole Opry was already very established by 1971. Well, okay, great that you brought that up, that, you know, our parents being here. Because I kind of wanted to start our discussion of America's longest running radio show. Hello. That is amazing. We've got history to cover. But I kind of wanted to start it in an unusual place. Okay. I want to talk about the transmitter, the radio transmitting tower that you and I <laughs> have driven by in Brentwood, Tennessee, all of our lives. Yes. And didn't you just even recently, we were talking about Jacob made some comment about it being a spaceship or a rocket or something. Yes. 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 Like we drive by this thing. And it, you know, I mean, it, it transmits more than the Grand Ole Opry, but that is special that you can drive by this and y'all, it is massive. So it was put up, um, in fact, at one point, it was the tallest broadcast tower in the U.S. It was originally 878 feet tall. Its height was reduced in 1939. And sorry, it went up in 1932. Um, but it was reduced a little bit. But the tower was commissioned by WSM AM, 
which that's the radio station that we're talking about today, which was a Nashville radio channel famous for originating the Grand Ole Opry in 1925. In 1931, the station was federally designated as one of 14 national clear channels and was thus granted the ability to reach 40 states and transmit at full power at night. Okay. Well, I had jotted down in my notes in reading that the WSM tower, the prior tower that they were using, so this show was established in 1925, um, was 1,000 watts. Okay. And I think in 1925, that was pretty good. Was that a big deal? Okay. But in 1932, it went to 50,000 watts. So that's via this tower that I'm talking about. Exactly. Um, and the program's audience at that point expanded dramatically, which is a big deal of why this show went so far and has gone so long. That's why you wanted to start yes. here. Um, the tower at that point blanketed most of the nation, and the show gained supporters in almost every state. Um, by 1936, I just think this is a cool little fact, the Opry generated 80% of WSM's weekly mail. Oh, like people writing that in. That were writing in. This was oh the buzz gosh. show. This was the this was the big deal. That's the buzz around the around the grand the, the country. I guess right. I should say. Not really quite around the globe yet. Well, yeah, I mean I think it matters that people recognize that the Grand Ole Opry isn't just famous for the sake of the stars that it produced. It's famous for that, for sure. But it's famous for the way that it truly transmitted the sounds, the country and gospel yes. sounds that were coming off of this stage. So, I mean, you kind of could even say we wouldn't be Music City. For sure we wouldn't. Like, people wouldn't know us as Music City. Maybe the Middle Tennessee Southeast region, maybe. People that had traveled here and experienced it live and in person, maybe they would associate it all. But if you don't get here right and there wouldn't be yeah it was the thing that brought the publishers that brought the um everything else that surrounds the music industry of nashville Mm -hmm. that all came because of right that's what i think is important to say yeah and for the young millennial listeners and even younger that listeners um you have to even think back to a time you can't even wrap your mind around. And that is no phones, no <laughs> television. No television. We're right. talking about the family surrounding the radio. Yeah. To hear yes. your entertainment. That's how you got your entertainment. You weren't, I mean, that's a whole nother age. Yeah. And this did have strong appeal to the millions of rural American families that exist, existed all across the country. That's right. And still exists today. I mean, it's still, but it just For has sure. wi- even wider appeal I'm going to touch on that again in a little bit. Well, just to wrap up, that transmitter, that tower has been recognized and is added to the National Register of Historic Places. It was given wow. that recognition in 2011. That's fun. So, uh, you know. It's recognized for all the reasons that we just talked about. And radio radio is so powerful. In fact, I asked our dad this weekend while we were at the Grand Ole Opry if he had memories of, as a boy, gathering around as a family listening to the Grand Ole Opry. And he said that would have been more so his mom and dad that would have done that. He wouldn't have necessarily sat in on that because he wasn't a really big country music fan. But he did recall that when he was in 
training for the army in about 1964. He spent four months out in the Mojave Desert, and he said they picked up the Grand Ole Opry while they were out there, and he definitely remembers that being a good place of nostalgia that he really needed uh, while he was out there training. So I thought that was super cool. So let's kind of go through maybe just the early the early, early years. Well, again, America's longest running radio program. That's unbelievable. And it's coming up on its 100th anniversary. I know. I wonder what they're going to do to celebrate. I know. That's got to be, be there. a lineup <laughs> that's going to be worth seeing. Um, well, the father of the Opry was George D. Hay, who came to WSM in November of 1925. Um, I got some great information again from my encyclopedia of southern Southern culture Culture. it's such a great book um prior to this he had been at chicago's wls and had helped announce their show called the barn dance um and it was a program that inspired country radio jamborees nationwide so it was you know okay kind of the first and then lots of those kinds of shows started to appear um anyway by the year's end in 1925, after he had come to WSM, he had organized the talent into a regular Saturday night show, simply known as the Barn Dance. Okay. They had yeah. all kinds of performers, Hawaiian groups, minstrel acts, military bands, but um, the old time string bands was what soon prevailed. Okay. That's what That's people what surfaced were. Yes. The fan favorites. So he kind of shaped the Opry into a folksy but highly commercial production that appealed to a broad-based audience of rural and small-town listeners, just mm-hmm. like you said, scattered throughout the nation. And he gave the band those string bands names, such as Possum Hunters or Fruit Jar Drinkers, and <laughs> kind of urged them to wear these, you know, country costumes and things like that. And he became known as the Solemn Old Judge. Yeah. That was kind of like his... Uh, persona yes um let's talk about the name the grand Ole opry it is kind of a funny name funny name yeah right so there was um a show that was prior to the barn dance show that was music appreciation hour it was a classical program that was carried on saturday night and um in 1927 this George Hay said, for the past hour, we've been listening to music taken largely from the Grand Opera, but now we will present the Grand Ole Opry. Like he just kind of said that in like a cute way. So he literally came up with the word Opry. Yeah. I mean, that word did not exist. So he did introduce 77 year old fiddle player, Uncle Jimmy Thompson. That was who was the very first performer on this new show. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so um, him being a program director, you know, maybe he recognized talent. Maybe he's like, this is the guy I want to start with. Maybe that's just who had a hot single at the time. So that was the first, on in 1925, that was the first person to play. Yes, the barn wow. dance. At, you know, it was the at barn, the barn dance, dance show. Yeah. The WSM barn dance, yeah. How cool. A fiddle player. That's seems, amazing. Seems apropos. Yeah, and that would have been um, this George Hay he would have been broadcasting from the National Life and Accident Insurance Company building. That's where they. That's would have, where WSM had. Their, that's where their location was. That's right. That yes. was the first. <laughs> yeah. First hub. Yeah. So they looked for larger venues, and they played 
all around town. They played the War Memorial, which is still a venue today here in Nashville, very close to our uh, capital. That's still an auditorium that bands play today. They played there for a little while. They played a tabernacle called the Dixie Tabernacle in East Nashville. Oh, a different tabernacle. Yeah, exactly. I know. (laughs) um, And then they landed at the Ryman Auditorium. And in 1943, that's when they moved into the Ryman Auditorium, which, just as a side note, is a very unique place with history far before the Grand the Gospel Tabernacle. Yes. Was what it was called. Yeah, yeah. Before. So it, you know, it dates 1895, the Ryman Auditorium does, and it came out of a revival that was happening here in our city. But 1943, they move in, and they played the Ryman for over 30 years. I think it was 31 years. 31 years. That's what I had in my notes, too. Wow. So, so many people still really call the Ryman Auditorium the Opry House. Yes. Like our dad does, for sure special place and it doesn't matter who you go see it can be like the coolest rocker they still almost uh, you almost always hear them say I can't believe I'm standing where Hank Williams sang or I can't believe I'm standing where you know Dolly Parton sang yeah it's like they just know how to not give a nod to the roots that were so important in music and, um, in fact, did you know they took a piece of the floor? I was going to mention that. Okay. From the Ryman. When it's it a moved. six foot circle. Yeah. And I could, I stared at it the whole time at the Opry so special, on Friday night. Isn't it? Like I was just like, I didn't know it was going to be that obvious where the circle is, but I, since I knew about it, I recognized it, but you could even go to the show and miss it and think it's like a spotlight. That's so special. Depending on where you're sitting. I just think that's so special. But yeah, a lot of Cue, artists... will the circle be unbroken. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of artists, it's interesting, do have that reverence for playing the Ryman. Yeah. And it's it kind of twofold. Like, it feels like it's reverential because it truly was a church. Right. But yeah. then it's... You're uh, sitting in pews with stained glass around yeah. you. Like, it's unique. But in, in their mind, they're mostly speaking about the reverence for the The, the Grand forerunner, The yeah. forerunners of... That's right. ...different artists that have also taken that stage so well before we get too far I do want to say one more thing about just the um the grandness of this scale of this going out in mm-hmm. these early years because again this is a long time ago <laughs> um the Opry's listenership widened a lot further in 1939 when um R.J. Reynolds tobacco company that made Prince Albert smoking tobacco they began sponsoring a half hour of the show on a 26-station NBC network. Okay. And so by 1952, this web had expanded to a coast-to-coast chain of 176 stations with an audience of 10 million. Wow. So in the 50s, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Wow. Network airtime was especially important in sustaining the Opry through the 50s because other radio barn dance shows were starting to dissolve. Those, Like I said, they had been kind of... All over the place, but mm-hmm. all the others are falling away. Interesting. And that had to do with the competition of network television, because mm-hmm. now we have some mm-hmm. TV stations to compete with. Makes sense. And radio stations, a lot of them were converting from country to rock programming. Yeah. But this one has stood yeah. the test of time. It's very special. As I said, the the Ryman was the home to the Grand Ole Opry for 31 years. The last show at the Ryman was March 13, 1974. You mentioned they did end up bringing part of the stage over to the new location, which opened later that month in March 1974. 
Richard Nixon attended the opening. So cool. <laughs> of the Opry House. And the show still, the Grand Ole Opry show does still go back to the Ryman at certain times yes. of the year to do a few shows. So it's kind of this seasonal thing that they do keep it in regular rotation. But the new home has been the new home since 1974. <laughs> but for some reason, I feel like maybe that's something I just got from dad. I still call it the new Opry House. I oh. don't know why. I when I saw that it was 1974, I'm like, there is no way it's been there that long. Yeah, like I still think of it as the new place too. Yeah, and so if you watched the Academy of Country Music Awards just a week, week before last, they had different performances on different stages around town, and we're talking about two of the three stages that were part of the show. The Ryman was part of those performances. I think that's where that Carrie Underwood. Performance, performance happened was, that, that everybody was, so was yeah and then the <laughs> new opry house as we said. <laughs> and then i think uh the only other one was the bluebird cafe so if you've got to see those award shows you actually have seen both of the stages that we're talking about here. and potentially there's even maybe some people who've been to the gaylord hotel property here yep. in nashville it's a big property that has a riverboat and a water park and a beautiful hotel the opry house is right close there yes. on that same property yes. um okay so i came across this most amazing gem um i've had this book for a bit but it's called nashville's grand Ole opry the first 50 years 1925 to 1975 okay and um i got it out to do my research i ended up not really pulling a lot from it because it's mostly pictures Ooh, it's, it's so, so beautiful pretty. you're gonna love looking through it but there is an introduction that was written in uh, 1975 by Roy Acuff oh, cool. that is so good All that right. I thought, let's take a little just time read. to just read it instead of putting it in my words. Because let's hear he's the he, dude that knows more yes. about this. What did he say? So he starts, there is something about our kind of music that is different from anybody else's. I've always thought. I know that none of our boys can play a violin as perfectly as people who play symphony music, and I know I could not attempt to sing a classical song. Symphony music is beautiful music, played correctly by note. Our boys play by ear, and we slide into and slur some of the notes. But what we do is pretty to us. We put a lot of feeling into it, and we reach the hearts of our audiences. The people who watch us understand that we're not really professionals at it. They understand that we're not trained, but they also understand that what we do is part of a sort of inheritance. In a way, nobody really writes our music, you know? If we write a song, we're only writing what we felt and heard, the way we've been raised and the way our people have lived. Those things are not created, they're inherited. And we sing them with a feeling of sincerity because they are part of our, because they are part of ourselves. The boys and girls of the Grand Ole Opry had to come to Nashville with a hard determination to play this music. Nashville, with all its colleges and universities and high society, is a blue-blooded town. And for a long time, the elite people in the city would have liked to see the Opry destroyed and done away with it. They thought it was belittling them. 
they were wrong, but they had to be shown they were wrong. And I think we have finally convinced the greater part of the Nashville elite people that they were mistaken in thinking that the Opry should have been kicked out and put somewhere else, like back into the mountains. I believe the majority of the Nashville people believe even the high society people admire us now for the determination we've shown here. If the Opry hadn't been in Nashville, Tennessee, this city would never have become Music City, USA. The rest of the music industry would never have come here, and Nashville would have been just like any other state capital city, pretty dead. Through the Grand Ole Opry and country music, Nashville has prospered. But even today, the big tourist businesses that surround the Opry here would die if the Opry should stop operating. All the other things we've got here aren't big enough to keep the tourists coming. Now he goes on to quote some um, statistics or some the numbers of people that were coming each weekend as twenty thousand, which I think oh is just gosh. astounding. Because wish we could go back to that. We're fifteen to twenty times that now each weekend. Um, but he says they don't come here to ride around the Capitol or drive by and see the Parthenon or the Country Music Hall of Fame or the Hermitage. They're coming for the Grand Ole Opry, mm-hmm. and then they go see those things in right. addition to. Yes. Um, so there's so much good here. I don't have to read the whole thing. If you're intrigued by this topic, you should grab this book. That is so interesting to think. What if Nashville was more of just an education hub. What right. if, it, if it was all about Vanderbilt University mm-hmm. and the Parthenon? Yeah. What if, yeah, what if we were, you know, the what, however you think of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, if that's, <laughs> like, what if that's what Nashville, Tennessee was? Isn't that weird to think about? That's very and, weird. And the, another thing that I thought was fascinating, I mean, this whole thing, it's three more pages, y'all. Um, so I'm not gonna of the intro and it's so good he talks about his own story he goes on to say I would not have been a star I didn't have what it takes to you know grab everybody's attention it was this show that helped me become a star Um, but some of the things that he says in here I'm like I can't believe he's saying that in 1975 yeah because um I would say it now, but he just had the four, like he was already seeing inklings of things that I can't believe had even shown its head yet in 1975. Yeah. So he was already seeing it. And I think this is amazing. Uh, I love kind of towards the end of his intro, something he said, um, as times change, we must perform some of the other music that's around. The younger people feel they want to hear some of this music. That's sort of on the fence between country and pop and doesn't know which way to drop. That's good as long as it's presentable. But we don't want the Opry to get to play in music that you don't feel your whole family can enjoy. When you leave the Grand Ole Opry, you should be able to say to yourself that you got some good out of it. That it was maybe like going to a good church service. And I would say 100% I felt that. When leaving in your experience on Friday night, just two nights ago, no bleeping two, out it, lyrics well, and gosh, no. booty dancing, but even some <laughs> tearful songs mm. that were sung about veterans and family, and you know, like yeah, those, those themes, those themes run rampant, and it was a large variety of acts. I don't want to get too ahead of myself that made up the show. So, well, you still hear that in lyrics that mm-hmm. are written. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. We've got an upcoming guest uh, soon who's written a lot of the big hits in today's country. Yeah. And you see those themes of 
rural America yeah. coming through. And that still speaks to a good chunk of the population. Yeah. We're not all urban. But yeah, what he said about pop is Com- so interesting and absolutely true. Oh, I, I thought like, for instance, pop being so immersed into country music. Now. I thought that was like a new Kind thing. of a new thing. Like, or maybe, thanks, Luke Bryan. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe Taylor Swift. Shania Twain back well, in true. the 90s. Maybe yeah. she was the one yes, that ushered for it sure. in. But that was the 90s, so. And I found it fascinating about, um, it, he made reference to the elite that wanted to keep the Opry out. That was touched on in Ken Burns's documentary, Country Music. Again, you should watch that if this yes. is interesting to you, because it was fantastic. But, um, yeah, there was quite a bit of opposition from people who thought it was going to mess with the city's genteel reputation. Make us look like hillbillies. (laughs) That's so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Well, in 1978 is when the show began being televised. So I think it's very interesting to even think about all these years where it was just audio. Because yeah. I'm thinking about us, that it's just audio. And it is a very different representation that I, you and I come to the microphone with versus if we were on film. And I can see, as you were talking about that whole introduction, how that allowed for more people to participate as artists that maybe didn't have the stage presence. I see that in every genre of music from even if you look in the 70s. Yeah. So I'm sorry, those were some really unattractive people. Yeah. Yeah. With unbelievable voices. Right. So would they make it now in the day of video? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I just think it's even interesting that like, now a podcast isn't necessarily audio only. That's a lot of what is released today but truly you can have a video-based podcast podcasts have been around for you know over 20 years but in the format most of them are today and they are so widely popular it's just audio so it's almost like a reversal back to (laughs) right like it's back in fashion again but see this is what I like about uh, listening to podcasts too is I can be cooking food I can be driving there's I'm not missing anything I'm just not missing anything and also not distracted by what they're wearing. That's right. How they're carrying themselves. What does their hair look like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were some very big deal moments that I'm not going to give like the full history of, but I just wanted to just some, throw some fun like, ones out. Flash in the pan kinds of things that you've got to know to also recognize some of the significance of the Opry. Johnny Cash met June Carter at the Opry. Wow. Hello. Bill Monroe and his band, it's said that they invented bluegrass on the Opry stage. Okay, that's a big deal. Elvis, hello. (laughs) I do know this story. Um, Most famous and successful name in modern music. He didn't actually fare very well when he appeared at the Opry in 1954. And it was his only performance at the Opry. The audience was not impressed by his rockabilly um, rambunctious <laughs> style. That's really the part. They may have thought the waist down was not family friendly. I don't know. Again, yeah. Like, distracting. <laughs> <laughs> but he left so mad and he swore never to return. 
and who could blame him? I mean, the audience didn't right. respond. They Why didn't would like, he want to come back? Yeah, he but was even, used to squeals. Even the Opry manager at the time told him to leave music forever and go back to driving a truck. Whoa, ouch. ouch. Yeah, so obviously Elvis didn't take his advice. And for a lot of people in whatever journey they are on in entrepreneurial business or whatever, that was kind of the spark that really made him do it even better, do it even harder. Right, right. You know? The teacher that told him they wouldn't become anything. Yeah. So, but it's, um, th- those are just a few moments I wanted That's to, awesome. to mention as, but you know, what I think is so cool about this whole experience is you are, you're reading, when you read the history of the Grand Ole Opry, it's the stars that originally played it that weren't yet stars. Yeah, just picturing that this person is nervous and comes out with their little guitar and becomes Hank Williams or becomes, right. That's cool. I mean, (laughs) those are cool moments. So it really is. And uh, and that's maybe you're going to get into this, but it's it's a unique thing. It being a show like this, too, because there's, you know, announcers making there's commercials right there's they're just nervously standing there with their guitar waiting to come out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, props may be getting moved around a little bit there's not a ton of that yeah but um, yeah yeah it's a unique it's kind of like situation. a talent show like <laughs> you know true. a middle school high school talent show you're playing at the fair or something right? and you're coming yeah out. it's right. like your debut there's still so many artists every week that are making their opry debut yeah. and maybe they are the next Hank Williams or Roy wow. Acuff. But I, I did want to just touch briefly on like being inducted as an yeah. Opry member. Yeah. Because there are more than 200 solo artists and groups that have been official Opry members. So that's since the inception, since 1925. There are currently 68 active members in the official cast, as they call them. And that includes some artists that are even no longer performing on a regular basis as an example like randy travis okay lots of health issues he's battling right now but they do consider him still an active member still an active member but he can't meet the requirement of having to come play yes so often commitment and availability to actually appear and perform on the opry is like crucial to become a member so again as a for instance george Strait lifelong Texan is not an Opry member although you'd think he's synonymous what? with te- right? you know with yeah. country music well it's because he doesn't play the Opry and he, he, he doesn't want to make that commitment yeah to be because did you jot down how many times a year do they have to play I have in my head 26 but I don't know that for sure okay. that might have been a different number no, but it's I mean a lot. It's, it's quite a few times so you're thinking like oh it's a big deal to be in that elite group. Yeah, because it's not just Saturday nights. The show goes Tuesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. So if they've got five and six acts each of those nights, that's a yes. lot of rostering yes. of <laughs> and scheduling. In fact, I do want to read one other thing from that intro before we get off here, because I do think this is amazing, too. He, Roy Acuff told, do you mind if I read yeah, one more thing? Yeah, that's fine. He um, was just talking about the hard work it took Especially in those early days. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, the roads weren't even as good as they are now, if you think about all the travel. Yes. But um, he said, I worked every day, including Sunday, for many years. In those days, only sickness or death allowed us to be off the Opry. No matter where we were, 
During the week, we were traveling in Fords on two-lane highways, so we could, couldn't get too far away. But I'd go over in the Carolinas or down in Georgia or somewhere, and I'd play my Friday night show and then come back in here for the Opry. My wife would meet me down there with my clean clothes, and I'd change at the Opry and perform and kiss her goodbye and head back to Asheville or Atlanta or somewhere for a matinee on Sunday. Wow. That's hard work. It Well, and just, it is not just some leisure, <laughs> leisurely, hey, if you're around and want to play. Yeah, I just, there's several ways that you can listen. I wanted to make sure people knew that. And then I'll just share a little bit about my experience there. You can obviously listen on the radio, 650 WSM AM, if you're in the vicinity that that, that reaches. You can watch online or listen via Facebook on Circle TV, or if you have Circle On Demand on your smart television, that's an app that you could watch it through. That's kind of brought about its own revival because COVID was the first time they ever opened up to a wide audience being able to visually watch the show, the Saturday night show. It was because of COVID because they had no audience. They weren't selling tickets, so they still had people come in and perform. Because they didn't want to break it. Yes. There's even an Opry mobile app. There is... Of course there is. Sirius XM, satellite radio. You can get the Grand Ole Opry show. I mean, there are lots of ways that you... So if you can't get here to experience it live... We got your back. guarantee you, you will enjoy (laughs) just even sort of format of the whole show. And it is, like I said, there is a lot of variety. So I saw Riders in the Sky, Anita Cochran... LV Shane, who made his debut, and I'm telling y'all, you're going to hear that name again. Okay. Mark my words. He good. He was good. He okay. was like fiery. And he you're going to be able to say, I saw his yeah. Opry debut. Daly and Vincent, loved them. Um, Jeannie Seeley. Yes. Jimmy Fortune um, was part of the Statler Brothers. Oh, he was incredible. Loved the Statler Brothers. And then it was rounded out by the Oak Ridge Boys. <gasps> Oh my gosh, talk about classic. Classic. I love them. In fact, they set up their final song. And I did want to say, like, each of those acts gets about two songs. Okay. It's moving that fast. And there's an announcer on stage, stage, um, like, the podium stays on the stage. He's doing a commercial break while the house lights come up. You know, next act comes out, does their two songs, house lights come up. Back to a commercial break. They're giving away, you know, maybe a pair of boots or um, chicken for a month. or I mean, you know, (laughs) like they're giving away something to an audience member. They're recognizing anniversaries in the audience. There was a lady that was just in this section over for me that was celebrating her 90th birthday and their 65th wedding anniversary. I was like, if she walked up all of those steps in her mask, I don't know why I had... (laughs) why I'm having such a huff and puffing hard time getting up here but um yeah so but that's when awesome I, but when I went you know of course it's just opening up via or post COVID so they're just at 33 percent okay okay capacity so I had lots of elbow room okay which you I know, bet dad was loving that you could really get used to that you don't want their ticket sales to suffer right but gosh it sure is nice to, so that meant about 1400 guests in the whole um, place. So that's, okay, that's space. it was spread out, but it that's a much smaller crowd. That's got to be a little weird for the person making their debut, but 
Yes. Well, making your debut. Yes. You know what I mean? For sure. They're at 1,400 guests, and a lot of shows sell out in advance because of that. Um, I would say even if you don't know a single act. You're going to still enjoy the experience. They do a lot of cover songs, too. I thought that was interesting. That's fine. I'm like, you get two songs on the Opry, and... You do a cover for one of them. I think that's interesting. Well, but keep in mind, if you're a member, you're having to play this a lot. lot. So you probably even want to keep it interesting for yourself. That's very true. You know? Very true. Yeah, they have even a country music cruise that they're doing next year, 2022. So some of them were talking about that. Wouldn't it be cool to know, you mentioned uh, Johnny and June Carter Cash meeting Mm -hmm. there. Wouldn't it be cool to know, well, like two art, there's probably so many times that artists had just never met until they were on the show at the same night. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun to know. So, um, yeah, I just, I couldn't sing enough praises about getting to go. And I I left full and just, you know, like, like that was a great experience. And one I'm so glad I got to share with someone older than me. I mean, especially my dad, but I think it's nice to look around a crowd and see that, you know, a bunch of older people got to get out and be entertained. Well, and isn't it fun too, to think about they literally, um, have acts of so many different ages that you can take Older people, yes. younger people, and they're going to have something that resonates. Right. I only saw one bachelorette party, and I was like, I don't think this would be a stop on my bachelorette party. I'm pretty for sure it wouldn't be um, on mine. But, you know, somebody that's a diehard country music fan, that's if they hilarious. stopped in Nashville, maybe that so is So somebody what they... had a sash on. Oh, said, yeah. Like, oh. they were behind me in the ticket line. That's like, hilarious. Like, here they came squealing. I could hear them coming before I saw them. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, I mean, you could check online for the schedule. We saw some friends of ours if you recognize if you know our intro music y'all rob ikes is so great who did our intro music he um is often playing with a guy named trey hensley they've recorded a lot together and they're playing a good bit with tommy emmanuel who is a ridiculous picker Mm -hmm. um so they're tom tommy emmanuel and rob ikes and trey hensley are playing may 8th it is already sold out but that would be a cool one to listen in on. right so listen watch online again like even if you're in town here yeah you you technically could go if it's sold out (laughs) and you can't go then there's a bunch of other ways and i saw on may 11th uh old crow medicine show and keb mo are together and it's not sold out yet that would be a fun one it's funny because i i saw that and I was like oh I should have told dad I wanted to see old crow medicine show but then I was like no I wanted somebody more classic classic yeah for my first experience yeah. Oak Ridge boys stop and one of the Statler brothers like you got classic well and the way that so the Oak Ridge boys were the final act and they'd done three songs and I didn't know how many they were gonna do and so one of the guys that dad mentioned he leaned over he's like he's kind of the MC of the group you know he started setting up their song, and he said, um, let's take you back 40 years. It's 1981. Jesse's Girls on the radio. I mean, he starts going through. And you're, it was your birth year. It's and my birth like, year. What? So I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so fun to hear. I mean, he's going through kind of different national events. But he said, but if you're an Oak Ridge Boys fan, you are listening to Elvira. And oh, they my went, gosh. Like, and I was just like. This and that guy's deep voice. Is amazing. Is so awesome. Yes. So. Anyway, how fun. It was fantastic. I highly recommend checking out. They've got tours, but I'm not sure COVID season what they're doing for all that. So 
there may even be other things that you can experience the Opry beyond even a, a Grand Ole Opry show. But um, yeah. That is just, some good American history right it there. Is. And I just love that even with COVID, they didn't stop the longest running radio show. So great. In America. Okay, y'all. Add that to your bucket list. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I told you I was charged up and ready to talk about Add this. Add that. It was so fun. Oh, and I'll say one other thing that was refreshing. And I don't know if it was the age of the people or if it was the fact that maybe it was the first concert many of us have experienced in over a year. But there were, like, no cell phones up. Okay. People were just enjoying the music. Soaking it in. A few pictures and videos went up during Elvira, but for the most part, I mean, I was not distracted in my eye gate at all with lights of smartphones. So nice. People weren't even on their phones. Okay. I saw one point and shoot across the aisle, which I kind of was cracking up about. Was it our dad? No. I'm just kidding. No, but, you know, kind of similar, you know, probably... the look of a dad slash granddad and you know he so he started his zoom in so I just kind of smiled and I was like oh he doesn't even have a smartphone well he pulled out a smartphone later I was like he just prefers his really point and shoot shoot." that's awesome anyway um that's all I think I guess I'll say about that but well peace be with you and also with y'all